All right, Justin, sing me a 1960s TV song. Oh, God. I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> Nay, man, I'm not that big of a historian when it comes to music, so I've got nothing for you. What came out in the 60s? Wait, did Sound of Music come out in the 60s or 70s? Was it in color? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember Sound of Music. If it's in I color, it's the it in color. So it's the 60s. Okay. Did, did any of those TV shows like Bewitched and all that stuff, did any of that, was any of that 60s stuff or was that way later? You no, know I think I Dream of Jeannie was. I think 60s. I Dream of Jeannie was. Oh, okay. And oh, I, I Love Lucy. In the Andy Griffith show. What about Dick Van Dyke or was that later? Oh, Dick Van Actually, Dyke. Actually, that might have been because that was black and white, I'm pretty sure. I think that was the 60s. I, I want to say the 60s is when televisions went from black and white to color. So whenever you see... What about Mary Tyler Moore? You probably don't know that one though, right? Mary Tyler Moore, I want to say, was the early 70s. Oh, okay. I Dream of Jeannie for sure was. Or if you remember any of the songs from the actual oh, movie. Justin, you done fucked up, dude. Whoa. You could have done the what Brady Bunch song. Oh, man. Is that that's that's right. 60s? I want to say that was wow. the late 60s when that came on. Or... uh you could have done Green Acres if I'm thinking right. If I want to say, I want to say Green Acres was late '60s. Hmm. Wait, wait. What about the Adams Family? Was that the '60s? Oh no, that would yeah, that would well yeah, that would have been early '60s because they were black and white. Yeah, there you go. Huh. See, all these missed opportunities that are done past. We cannot go back and do it now. It's over with. Uh, and Mash was the '70s, huh? Uh, yes, the Mash. Wait, Mash was the '70s. I thought it was the 60s. Maybe started in the well, 60s? Well, it took place in the 60s. Oh, okay. Because it was the Korean War. But I don't think... Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, it ran forever, though. It did. I wonder, did it start in the 60s? I think it started in the 70s. Two points if you can name the name of that song. Are you going to try, Justin? No. <laughs> I have no clue. Really? I just always call I it the Mad Song. I don't know that either. Yeah, I don't know that either. Oh, okay. I remember that. I now. always just thought it was the MASH theme. I, I always call it the MASH theme. That song's official name is Suicide is Painless. 1972 is when MASH started. Ah, dang it. Just missed it. So, well, so much for that beginning. Brady Bunch started in 1969. Oh, so it barely made it in. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Adam's Family was 64 through 66. Hmm. Well, we got an Adam's Family movie coming, so we'll wait for yeah. that. Do all the, yeah, that's the true. wait to do all the humming and snaps. So and Dick Van Dyke was 61 through 66. Oh, okay. Okay. What about Mr. Ed? That's 60s. Oh, I don't know. I'm not there yet. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was 70 through 77. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore. Man, when you type in Mr. Ed on IMDb, it gives you nothing. <laughs> what? How does the internet not know about him? Okay. You have to actually spell out Mr. That's why. Uh, 58 through 66 for that wow. Mr. Ed. That was super old. Oh, Bewitched was 64 through 72. Oh, I liked Bewitched. It used to come on a Nick at Night. Do they still have Nick at Night? I don't think so, dude. I think they just do. Is that do... still a thing? No, nah, because they just do that on TV land, and they don't even show that shit anymore. Oh. That's how I knew all that old, those old shows, dude. Like, uh, 
what Hogan's Heroes and Get Smart. Yeah. Uh Mach- Wish I Dream I Dream of Genie all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, all that all that stuff was all because of TV Land and Naked Night. So, and I think that's one reason why I have this weird fondness for the Brady Bunch movies because whenever the, the, those movies came out is when I was like, they were still what there was a lot of uh, uh, Brady Bunch on on Naked Night and TV Land, you know. So it it was just like it was weirdly just like for me watching like a movie that came out for a TV show that was still like running. It's so weird that somehow for me in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I guess it was, it was the 90s whenever those movies came out, but that it felt like a current movie to a current show because I was watching so much Brady Bunch on just channels that played old shit. But if you guys couldn't guess Cine fans by based on our conversations about 1960s television and movies and whatnot we will be talking about the quentin tarantino film once upon a time in hollywood we are going to talk about what we liked didn't like and everything in between and as you heard it is justin heather and i doing this is it no how would you say that heather justin and me doing it or i yeah. doing uh oh wait it would be i because if you were just saying it by yourself you'd say it's um i'm going to be doing this so it would yeah. be Heather, Justin, and I. Yeah. All right. So let's just pretend I said that from the beginning and everyone said me. Got it. Good. (laughs) So like I said, we are going to talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with this. So we are going to start, as always, with what we liked. And even though Justin let you guys down by not knowing any songs except for the MASH theme song, what did you like about this movie, Justin? Cool. So um, this is um, another film directed by Quentin Tarantino. And um, and I'm a big fan of his film. So, I mean, I think that uh, th- that's worth saying. I mean, I enjoyed Inglorious Bastards. Who doesn't like Pulp Fiction? I'm a huge fan of the Kill Bill movies. Um, man, Jackie Brown. I mean, there are just so many great Quentin Tarantino films. Um, so I've always been a fan of this director. And one of the things that I do like about this director is that he, he just has a style, a method of storytelling that doesn't really follow the conventional rules. He kind of will go into voiceovers or narrations randomly in a story. He has a way of putting events together that don't always match up or don't always seem like they're um, formulating in a story, but somehow the the point comes across and we do arrive at the end. He also has been known to kind of do his own revisionist type history and fantasy versions of stories. Inglorious Bastards was kind of about about that with Hitler and the, the 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 Nazi people getting blown up in a theater. So I mean this guy is somebody who he likes to take sometimes real things that happen or real events and put his own Tarantino spin on it and kind of almost make these kind of nuanced fairy tales if you will like only he can make them he likes to have characters have long conversations and there's just all this dialogue and stuff like that and i say all of these things because these are not common techniques common rules that you're supposed to follow when you're writing a script or doing a movie you know normally every scene typically has a point that follows to something or there's some sort of lesson being learned or there's some sort of 
like story that's being woven with every scene. And Quentin Tarantino often doesn't follow those things. So, and, and you may say that, well, that makes some of his films kind of hard to follow, difficult to understand, or he's of an acquired taste. But for me, it feels refreshing. For me, it feels like it's something different. You just know that when you're watching his movies, you're not going to go in there and it's not going to be unlike, it's not going to be like anything else you've seen thus far this year. And I think that this movie kind of harkens a lot of those same sentiments. This, this film is very different from what we've been given this summer. I can definitely say that. Uh, to, to, to talk about some things that I liked, I mean, other than just Tarantino's style of directing, are really just the, visually what he was able to do with this movie. The set pieces in this movie, the backdrops, everything that was involved to make this look like 1960s Hollywood, California was excellent. I mean, there are just so many like um, signage and buildings and everything that just harkens back to that time or pictures that I remember seeing in, bo in books I've read and stuff like that, or just old movies and stuff like that. Like uh, there's so much visually here that it really just looks like we're in that time. And, and I really appreciated that. I really appreciated just the attention to detail to really make this seem like it took place in the 60s. And one thing I can say about um, Quentin Tarantino and Leonardo DiCaprio is that typically when they get together, good things happen. As far as Leo DiCaprio's performances in his um, movies with Tarantino, um, and in this movie is no different. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is absolutely amazing here. Like I loved this role that he had as this sort of not really a washed up actor. I can't, you can't really call him that because he wasn't quite there yet. But as Rick Dalton, this kind of actor that understands that he's headed in that direction, that his relevancy is on its way out. And this is an attempt for him to try to stay relevant, to try to do something uh, so that he can stay relevant in the movie world. And Leonardo DiCaprio depicting a second rate actor is, you know, when you hear that, 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 that is nothing that sounds like anything that would be believable. I mean, it, to me, Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the best. Like, I think that pound for pound, just his range, the longevity, how many movies he's been in, the roles that he's taken. I just think that Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the best. So when you tell me that the premise is, is that he's playing an actor who's lost relevance and kind of is this second rate actor um, from these old Western shows that he's trying to stay relevant. It doesn't sound like anything that'll be believable because Leo is far from that. But boy, does he come off as believable here. Just everything he does in all of the scenes is this Rick Dalton character trying to nail these parts and trying to um, 
keep himself relevant. And there are just so many great scenes where he's reciting lines or he's forgetting lines. And then there, I love there was a scene in it where he went back to his trailer and he was angry with himself and he's yelling at himself and saying, if you don't get the lines right, Rick Dalton, I'm going to kill you. And he's talking to himself and trying to hype him, hype and psych himself up to deliver these lines. And I just thought he was great here. And here he's a person that is so insecure and, and that really comes across. He's insecure about everything. He's insecure about his acting, about his place in Hollywood. He's insecure about his looks and his approach to some of these roles and things like that and what he has become and how people perceive him in Hollywood. So all of that really comes across. And Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio just does an excellent job at that. So hats off to him. I mean, I think that th th this is definitely just one. When I look at just an individual's acting performance, I do think that this is one of the better performances I've seen all year as far as just a person fulfilling a role in acting. And and speaking of acting, Brad Pitt is also excellent here, too, as Cliff as Cliff, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's stuntman. And it was an interesting dynamic or dichotomy maybe in this movie because like on one end, you have a person who is trying to pretend to be a badass. You have Rick Dalton, this actor, trying to do his best to, to act as if he's badass and pretend he's a badass. But we know just from his life and scenes with him and everything, he's far from that. But ironically, his best friend, Cliff, is like this real badass who can give Bruce Lee a run for his money, who can do who has all these crazy adventures and is living out a Western in and of itself with him being kind of mysterious and him having this story about what happened to his wife. And he probably murdered his wife and people kind of looking at him as eccentric and not knowing what to make of him. So it's so I thought that was just a very interesting side by side with the characters where one is like he's actually a Western character and the other one's trying to his best to play one. So I just thought that that was great. And as the story plays out, Brad Pitt gets a lot to do here. He has a lot of great scenes and Brad Pitt just has that charisma and that look about him. He just comes off as this cool dude from the 60s. So uh, again, I just really appreciated them and they really too and those two really are the glue that often holds this movie together because I didn't like everything about this movie. But those two together, I enjoyed every minute of them together, them talking together. There's a part where they are watching a film that Dalton starred in. And, and, and I think uh, uh, Cliff did some stunt work in it. And they're just sitting there watching the TV, reacting to what we're seeing, this film that um, Rick Dalton made. And man, just the back and forth banner, them saying, oh, I know that guy. One of the, there's a part where there's a dead guy on the screen and Brad Pitt, Cliff was like, oh, I know him. Oh, I, that's William. I know William. He's a good guy. You know, it just like that kind of stuff, man was just very endearing. It was very funny. It was very enjoyable. And I just enjoyed um, every moment with those two. And, and there are some other actors and actresses that were good here too. Uh, Margot Robbie 
And I mean, I'll get into kind of the character narratively and the dislikes because there were some things I didn't like about it. But her um, playing the role as Sharon Tate, um, I, I thought that she was also good here, too. The, the Even though she got to do very little, the scenes where she was in it, I thought she did very well. Um, I thought the scene where she was sitting in the theater kind of watching people react to her acting performance and stuff like that, that was a nice kind of love letter and kind of a nice little sweet kind of thing he did for Sharon Tate. Because if anybody doesn't know the story, she was a victim of those Charles Manson uh, ordered murders that took place in Hollywood and it was pretty brutal and she was pregnant at the time and things like that. So for Quentin Tarantino to kind of turn that situation around in his little fairy tale version of this and kind of make her this endearing character, this person who got to do those roles and then see people happy at her roles and entertained by her roles. That was kind of nice. I, I could understand the uh, sentiment there. So overall, the, those would definitely be the likes that I had for this film. Heather, your turn. Go. Yeah, I agree with a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of the things that Justin said, I think I agree with. I think, um, honestly, I really do like the cinematography in this. I think it's beautiful which is kind of common for Tarantino films. Like I remember when I watched Kill Bill, it was just the cinematography and how he shot the scenes was really beautiful. So um, yeah, just the way that it looks and feels is very much like you are in a 1960s Hollywood, you know, time and world. So um, it was just super cool how they put um, also Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character um, in these old movies as if he really was an actor back in that day, which was really cool. Um, the costumes were really great. Also, I thought that they did a really great job at making it 1960s, the look of it and everything and the music they had throughout the film was very fitting also. Um I mean, it just really does create this old school feel and world, which I appreciate a lot. And um, incorporating the huge stars that they did in this at that time into the story was very entertaining. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, you know, how they did in Forrest Gump, where he comes across all these famous people in different situations. So it, it kind of made me feel a little bit like that. But this movie is specifically about 1960s Hollywood. So I'm really glad that they kind of did that with this. They were, um, and they were well-casted parts and they did really good. They were just good add-ins um, to the particular story. So I, I really did enjoy that about it as well. And and like Jason said, like DiCaprio is absolutely amazing in this. He's a rock star in this. His performance is, honestly, it's really genius how he does it. And I loved it. Like he... Even his little mannerisms and the way he talks, you can just tell he puts so much into this character and portraying him. You see his complete like desperation to be relevant and how he pushes himself to be the best. And it's just incredible to watch him do his thing with that. Um, it's also just so believable and entertaining because while he seems to to mean well for the most part he's just totally in his own world and oblivious to the people around him um i like his relationship with cliff uh i think you know it's just it's an interesting friendship where you kind of see how they in a sense they need each other 
and more than that they like more than they would probably like to admit but rick seems he seems to need cliff um just as a companion and source of support and cliff needs rick to to give him work and so it just kind of he takes any odd jobs that rick will give him they're both just very alone so um they they've kind of learned to rely on each other a lot for certain things which I just really like the way that they talked about that in this movie or the way that they kind of portrayed that in this film. Um, and then also Brad Pitt is really, really great in the film. I appreciate his very quiet demeanor. Um, it's almost like he embodies that saying of like still waters run deep. You feel like he's, he's also just, he's always thinking, but he rarely says anything unless he's asked to, or he feels like it's necessary to actually say something. Um, and it's it's just intriguing how he played it, especially because when you see him interacting with the people in the the Manson cult, <laughs> he's very obviously he has very obvious violent tendencies. But I love um, how he's he's not afraid of them or captivated by them, which I um, I for a little bit thought that he was going to kind of be taken by them just because of the young girl that he's flirting with and all of that. But I do like that he was smart enough to be suspicious and um, his kind of standoffish demeanor kind of worked in his advantage in a lot of situations with that. So I just I like that he played that character well in that sense where um, it was believable. Like it just kind of his character was consistent throughout. You don't feel like his character really did anything out of character for him, if that makes sense. So um, I did appreciate that. And then also Margot Robbie. Um, I thought she was great as Sharon Tate. She really, um, I mean, she played her as a very kind person, very full of life. And I'm not really super familiar with much about Sharon Tate, but my understanding is that it was an accurate portrayal of her personality. Um, I just, I just like how unassuming she was that anyone would ever know her, how excited she was seeing her film uh, on the big screen. She just seemed very humble and just very, she was just an enjoyable character to watch. So I did really like Margot Robbie's portrayal of her. Um, I don't know. I just feel like this movie, it, it's packed full of major talent, even in the smaller roles, but it's done in a way where um, not, it's not over. They're not over, over utilizing anyone just for the sake of giving them screen time. But it also, it's just enough to where you want to see more of them. Like for instance, Dakota Fanning's character, um, even Sharon Tate's friends that she's around all the time. And even for that matter, Sharon Tate, you know, and even the woman that played DiCaprio's wife at the end, they're all really great characters that made you want to see more of them. Um, and also Tex, um, I think what's his name? Austin Butler, I think is his name. Um, you did end up seeing more of a role later in the film for him, but they just really utilized his screen time very well. And I feel like they did that well with a lot of the people in the movie, um, which is, it's kind of hard to do because there are so many side characters in this. So you have to kind of pick and choose uh, where and when for some of them. But I just feel like this was done well in that sense. So those are things that I really, I really did enjoy that about the movie. And honestly, the whole time in the film, I really was just, I was intrigued. It was, um, I mean, there's going to be more on the dislikes for some of it, but I just really like the, I was captivated by the story for most of the time, even though it was a very long story. It just, I felt like none of it really maybe be like in the middle of it. Like I was completely bored or not following it or anything like that. So I just feel like he did a good job at captivating you the whole time with the story he was trying to tell with it. Um, but like I said, there's going to be more on the other end of that. But yeah, so for me, those are definitely 
the things that I really enjoyed about this film. Well, for me to piggyback off you guys, um, um, I'm actually going to take one thing Justin said and, and, and take it actually a little bit further whenever he said that, you know, Leo and Brad Pitt um, carry this movie. Um, I would actually have to say that Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio just are this movie. And it's not that, you know, somebody else couldn't have done it or anything like that. Or, you know, yeah, they were the two central characters of the movie and everything like that. But for me, pretty much the only thing that made this movie work on so many levels was the just top tier amazing performances from those two people and you know quentin tarantino is notorious for this i mean he he's a great caster you know he might pick people that nobody else would pick for certain roles i mean uh luke perry's last role was in this and i mean say what you will about luke perry he was kind of making a comeback with uh Riverdale and things like that, but Luke Perry wasn't like a go-to actor in any way, shape, or form. You know, nobody was really just thinking about casting Luke Perry in a lot of movies and stuff like that. And he gave him, he it's not a large role or anything like that, but he gives him a role in this movie and, and he does a good job. It's just like Al Pacino in this movie. Al Pacino is one of those actors that has almost comedically fallen in like acting graces over the last few years and stuff. It's, he's made just the weirdest film choices and the weirdest role choices. And he's a caricature of what he used to be like, but he has a very small yet strong role in this movie. But, but when it comes to like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, in a lot of ways, you feel like these roles were written for these guys. And I mean, for all I know, they could have been, but they were just so perfectly cast in this. Like when Justin was talking earlier about those swings that like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character has of he fucks up a couple of scenes in the show and he goes to the trailer and he just throws a fucking fit. And, you know, typically you would see in a movie or something like that where the the person would like flip out on somebody else like an assistant or some random crew member or something like that and like blame them and all this other stuff he does that same type of like like your atypical like hollywood actor tantrum but it's 100 percent aimed at himself and it was incredibly interesting to watch him go through all that and it was really funny too like where they kind of just make fun of the whole like Everybody in Hollywood was essentially a uh, just highly functioning alcoholic back in the day because that was just in every way, shape or form what Rick Dalton was. And but then also seeing him just be that type of person that nowadays you would consider that actor being self-destructive and unprofessional, but then almost in a way be like the pinnacle of 1960s professionality in a movie or TV show, whilst also being insanely drunk all the time and it was that weird juxtaposition of what we would consider acceptable and unacceptable in the 60s versus now when it comes to the same type of things it was just really it was really interesting to watch that um and uh like what heather said with the cinematography and everything like that uh you know that is something quentin tarantino does very well because he frames every one of his shots he's very meticulous about those things that's also why at this point he uh if he's going to direct something, he writes it. He likes having almost complete control over every aspect of a movie like that. And and, and for the most part, it always pays off. You know, I have, uh, for the most part, always been unabashedly, especially lately, kind of burnt out on Quentin Tarantino and his style of things and stuff like that. But I mean, one thing that doesn't 
never get tiring though is uh this man's ability to just always make a movie that is 100% visually pleasing for every frame of the fucking movie because that is one thing he does so damn well and that that's something that like i said just never gets tiresome watching a movie that's so fully realized from a to z like i said down to every single shot is handcrafted by him is a very it's it's a very nice thing and it's it's something that you know not every movie needs that type of dedication um from a director but i like the fact that every one of his movies just the way he makes movies and the way he writes movies does and that he always gives like you know the whole uh old sports adage of he always gives 110 percent every time he does that and it's it's incredibly obvious um that he does and that's something he cares about because it's so often overlooked and so that's something that no matter what i will always appreciate um from him with this and uh yeah, that's really all I've got because you guys kind of really covered a lot. I just wanted to retouch those things that I felt was most important with a lot of those aspects and stuff. Um, you guys got any more likes before we move on? Nope, but for me. Um, maybe just one more. What was the name of the uh, the child actress, the little girl who um, who Leo walked up on as she was reading about Walt Disney? What is the name of that little girl? She was great too. Do you want do you want the actress name or do you want the character's name? Give me both. Trudy is the character. Yes, that is Julia Butters. Okay. She's so good. She's so good. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of give her a shout out as well because she was awesome in those few scenes that she had. I thought that that was a great dynamic with her and Leo. And now that I kind of think about it, all of that was kind of symbolism, I think, because as far as a story, because she was reading about Walt Disney and like, you know, with the Disney movies and stuff like that, what do they often do? They often take these kind of morbid stories or these dark kind of fairy tales and they make them happy. You know what I mean? Like they give them happy endings and they're kind of magical and they're for kids and kind of, you know, they take something dark and kind of put their Disney spin on it. And it's a more uplifting kind of happier film. And that's sort of what he did with this, with the whole Manson murders and Sharon Tate and stuff like that. So perhaps that was kind of a, now that I think about it, maybe that was kind of his way of saying that's what he's doing with this story. So that's interesting. But, but her performance with. Uh, Leo was great. And, and just all the little things that, uh, she got to say and do and like, oh, well, I never eat before I perform because I think it makes me sluggish. Like she just delivered those lines just so well. And she really just seemed like the most overly professional child actor ever. So I just really appreciated that. Or like she was like, well, I don't like the word actress because it doesn't really make any sense. I'm an actor. Like I just enjoyed all of that. So she was really great. So just another shout out for me. No, that's that is an interesting take on that. I didn't think about it, but I do agree. I think 
Julia Butter. She's really good. I actually watched this show called American Housewife for any of you people listening that might have watched that. She's the daughter in that and she's really, really good. She's she's phenomenal. So I'm really glad they had her in this movie. I agree with that, Justin. Well, for me, I I, I took her character as that uh as in this fictionalized universe with uh, a Rick Dalton. Um that was their version of was it Kim Darby, uh, the girl from True Grit, was kind of that type of character she was playing. I can you know, see that. Whole, like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you're you know the the Haley Steinfeld uh, character from the remake of True Grit. Just you know, it's that was to me she was playing that type of kid actress. You know where you know you might have all these bigger name actors and all this other stuff, but then there's this little girl there that's just like. Nah, this is how we do it type of thing. And so, like I said, I, I felt like she was the, the characterization of that. That's what I took from it when I saw that part. Alrighty, now to the fun times. I'm going to have to start this off with saying my best or not my best way. Uh, the emotion that this movie brought out of me when it was all said and done was just this overwhelming sense of apathy and just utter indifference because anytime to me if brad pitt or leonardo dicaprio weren't on the screen which they were for the most part in every scene but if they weren't on the screen i found myself having a very hard time of caring what the fuck was going on and unfortunately that did happen a lot during the margot robbie scenes as uh sharon tate mainly because of having watched a lot of Quentin Tarantino films and having learned a lot about him over time and knowing that he's got a foot fetish and that a lot of times he likes putting his uh, lead female characters or like his uh, just his female characters in general in general in positions to where there are shots focusing on their feet. Seriously? I didn't actually know that. If you go back and watch a lot of Quentin Tarantino stuff, there's a lot of focus on his female actor's feet. That's really weird. <laughs> and knowing that takes away from a lot of stuff like that, because one thing you notice is when Sharon Tate's sitting there watching uh, the, the movie in the theaters, most of those shots, she's got her feet up on the seat in front of her and her feet are framed in every single one of those shots to make sure that you see her feet in every one of those shots. When that younger girl was in the car with Brad Pitt, uh, she puts her feet up on the dash, pressed up against the the window. And I understand that a lot of people wouldn't notice that stuff. But I notice it because it is this weird trademark of Quentin Tarantino. So ever since I learned that and then saw other evidence of that in other movies, it became just so overwhelmingly obvious that they do that, that he does that all the time. And so I can't help but see it when he does it. And it's very, very distracting through a lot of those scenes because I'm now no longer seeing this like you guys saw it as this endearing time with with with, uh, with us, Sharon Tate. And, you know, getting to see those elements of her life that other people might not have gotten to see in these endearing moments and stuff. I see it as weird porn, like foot fetish for Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And it really takes away a lot of shit every time that happens i mean i don't think it has been this bad since if you go back and watch death proof to where just 
so many times when those uh especially the the first set of uh women are in the car being chased down by kurt russell that like every chance they get they're sticking their car their feet like out of the car window or up on something to where it's there's like at least two sets of feet visible in every shot of that car at any given point in time this was just right up there with that for me uh because it's just i couldn't like i said i couldn't help but see it and it takes so much away it really deflates every one of of those scenes and i'm sorry if i ruined certain shots like this for other people now because they might not have known it but this is something i've known for years and because it got pointed out to me and it's just something i can't unsee and i can't not not bring that up when you talk about this movie because like i said it ruined chunks of this movie that you guys absolutely loved and found endearing i visually could not get past just her feet being in the shot because quentin tarantino wants to masturbate to him later or something i don't know but it really just yeah is very distracting and other than that when it comes to like dislikes and stuff like that is this movie did not have that trademark quentin tarantino dialogue you know the way he, he he paces conversations and as much as i've been burnt out on quentin tarantino as of late and some of that is why i i felt it really missing in this movie in a bad way like i was really kind of aching for it because i feel like that would have fixed some of the very sluggish pacing moments in this movie there were so many moments in this movie that felt like they dragged the fuck on like they could have cut out at least 27 scenes of brad pitt driving around la and gotten the same fucking story told but you know when you have that and then like i said minus the the your normal quentin tarantino dialogue it's just this movie felt long and i think that's another thing that ended up making me feel very apathetic towards things in the end because it it dragged so hard for me and especially for it to weirdly become just psychotically quentin tarantino in the last 15 minutes it it felt so weird you know because it just kind of went and went and went and then that last 15 minutes is whenever you know they pull the spinal tap and turn the quentin tarantino up to 11 and it's just super violent and the conversation that the you know that the the little manson family people were having out in the car beforehand felt very quentin tarantino that was like the first time i felt quentin tarantino in the dialogue was that moment and then all of a sudden it goes from that to just super violence to the movie's over and so the 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 beginning you know uh 90 percent of the movie i don't feel like that ended up earning the last 10 percent, or vice versa they just d- didn't quite blend in they didn't earn each other that ending wasn't the ending that the rest of the movie set up and the, the movie didn't set up that ending it really does work both ways because of how discombobulated they feel together and to touch on something earlier um with this movie i have some very weird feelings with this because like i said it filled me with apathy and indifference and if i could find out the answer to one question for quentin tarantino it could actually sway me one way or the other to varying degrees because the the question was is this a love letter to sharon tate or is this a love letter to um roman polanski because my thought when i saw that ending and that it rewrote history and now sharon tate's alive in this universe is is this movie trying to tell me that if it had played out like this 
Sharon Tate would have lived and Roman Polanski wouldn't have sexually assaulted an underage girl and then everything would have been fine. Is that what he wanted to get across? Like that if this had happened, Roman Polanski would have been fine. Or is it solely about Sharon Tate? Like those are the questions I truly need answered for me to feel one way or another about this movie. Because if it is strictly a love letter to Sharon Tate, then I'm actually would feel probably more on the positive side about this movie. But if it, if any way, shape or form, it's a love letter towards Roman Polanski and just saying, hey, in this universe, you didn't sexually assault an underage girl. So you're OK. I have huge, huge fucking problems with this movie because you can't just rewrite history like that. Like, I understand that it is a movie and it's a story and everything like that, but that's not rewriting history in almost a positive way. You know, Inglorious Bastards kind of rewrites history in a positive way with the whole, oh, these people just murder Hitler. Because murdering Hitler is a positive thing. You know, it, it was an incredibly violent way of doing it, but ultimately it was a very positive thing. So is this, like I said, is this rewriting history in a positive or a negative way? Are you rewriting it positively, just saying, hey, Sharon Tate's alive and that's a good thing? Or are you rewriting it to what I say is a negative thing and saying Sharon Tate's alive so Roman Polanski's not bad anymore? And I understand that that might not be the point of any of this, but that's what I thought when I saw it. And to me, that type of message does matter. And I think ultimately in this time when it comes to Hollywood having covered up a lot of sexual abuse things, I think it matters more now than than ever before. So uh, that's like I said, it's just something that I really need to uh, I need to know before I can really completely set in what I would give this movie as a score or anything like that. I'm going to give it one. Don't get me fucking wrong. I'm going to give it one. But for me to ultimately seal how I feel about this movie, that's something I need to learn. And it's something I haven't been able to find. So if it, somebody does uh, have an answer to my question, like Quentin Tarantino did an interview or something like that, uh, send it to us so I can read it. It's just I have looked it up and I couldn't find anything saying anything like that. So I've seen articles that speculated that it was like a love letter to Sharon Tate or something like that. But it's just not something that I've read that he directly said. So it's something I need to know for something like that. So, uh, Heather, what did you not like about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, so I would say for, I mean, I do, that. that is an interesting thing that you mentioned there. I didn't think about some of that. But for me, I don't know, my... I actually think that I would have liked to see Sharon Tate in more of it. I know you said that like she wasn't really a big like thing in it. <laughs> and she was kind of a side note, honestly, but I think that she should have been in it a more major role in it just because she was ultimately um, like she was sort of a major role in the film in the side story part of it. They I just think that they should have done a lot more with her. Um, I don't know. I think that like I was reading this article that um, the New York Times said about the movie, and I think it made an interesting point. It said um, something to the effect of it. Um, it said that the story allows Tate and her gentle friends no cathartic moment of fighting for their own lives. Um, hold on a second. Let me find what it says here. Yeah. So it says it allows them no cathartic moment for, um, yeah, for fighting their own lives and winning. Instead, the moment goes to old fashioned manly men who might have mused, if I were there, I could have stopped it. And I do think that that's a very valid point. 
And honestly, I think it could have been a cool thing to see them face and defeat them. Not to say that the way that it was done was um, not good or satisfying or anything, but I just think it would have been cool to see. Um, it would have just been more satisfying to see the ones who actually were involved in that situation, in that historical tragedy, just be a part of it in some way. Um, so that's, I think that that's kind of a, a bigger thing for me is I just kind of wish that they would have done a little bit more with that story than they did in the movie. And a lot of my issue too is also just that they had, like you said, it was, it was just a very long, <laughs> it was a very long movie. It felt long. There was a very long, detour to the final destination if that makes sense like the um it, that's not uncommon with quentin tarantino films but he does always take this interesting journey um like to where he's trying to get to but there were just some things emphasized that maybe could have been less time spent on it like um for example the time that cliff spends at the ranch with the cult that was a major part of the story but i just definitely feel I mean, it wasn't necessary, but I feel like it definitely could have been condensed a little bit. So I do agree. I think it was very, it felt long compared to a lot of other movies that I've seen where it's a lot more action, more consistently in the movie. And another thing is the trailer did make it seem a little, mis it was a little misleading because it takes you like um, through what the movie's about, but you think that Charles Manson is going to be a bigger part of this and then a lot more of it. Um and he's literally in like one scene for about three minutes. <laughs> so, and then he's never seen again. So I was just kind of expecting a little bit more of him in it or that he was going to just be like maybe at the ranch where Cliff was and maybe having a conversation with him or something like that, um, where it shows like his ability to charm people or whatever it was that drew people to him to have so many followers. I really just felt like they were going to do more with that in this movie and they didn't. And maybe that was also on purpose because. Like you were saying, if it is a love letter to Sharon Tate, you know, you don't want to romanticize the villain in that situation or, or romanticize like, you know, a cult leader or a serial killer. So maybe they did that on purpose. But um, I just really kind of think that it could have benefited from having a little bit more of him in it, showing his charm and his way that he's able to get people to join his movement or whatever it was that he considered it. And um I was also a little bit thrown off by that whole side story of Cliff having supposedly murdered his wife. I don't know how much of um, a purpose it really served other than just instilling fear in people um, that he met if they knew about it. Like when he was, you know, fighting Bruce Lee and talking to Bruce Lee or whatever. And he's like, oh, that's the guy that killed his wife. <laughs> so I just feel like, you know, it, it just wasn't um, if it was a big part of who he was. Maybe they should have touched on it a little bit more or elaborated more um, on what the whole thing was. Like they did have the one scene where it showed what happened, but it didn't really go into it. And they didn't really, they kind of made it like this funny, like, huh, that's funny. He's, he's intimidating because he might have killed his wife. You know, they just didn't really go into a lot of that. And I feel like, I mean, I was kind of more interested in that storyline than some of the ones that they showed. So I kind of hope that they had done a little bit more with that. Um, so for me, those, yeah, I mean, other than what you said, I just feel like those are more of my dislikes of it. So Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you on the whole Brad Pitt killed his wife thing. That was such a weird, weird part of backstory that they kept hinting at and kind of loosely showed that played out in a, as a very weird joke, like you said. Like the whole like, oh, they're on a fishing boat and he's got like a harpoon and it's facing her. Oh no, did he do it intentionally? 
Like, that was such a weird, weird way to show that. Right. And I know that, like, I wondered if part of it had to do with, like, the Natalie Wood thing, you know, how they said that someone might have, or I forget who it was that was with her that they said might have drowned her or whatever. Or I, I don't know if it had something to do with that, if they were just trying to sort of, you know, play a little bit into that, or if it was just its own thing, but it just didn't really add to anything. Oh. Yeah, that was that was Robert Wagner and possibly Christopher Walken because those were the only two other people on the boat. Oh, the right, Wood, yeah. Which, yeah, Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. But and and it very well could be that. But either way, it still didn't. It just still felt very weird because it felt very spousy, uh, spousal abusal. That sounds very weird to say, but like it feels like it's playing that as a joke in a weird way with the whole like she's like nagging him while he's po- like accidentally pointing a harpoon at her you know it just seemed very very weird you know especially when i feel like it could have played out differently and probably would have added more to the character like if you know because if they kept alluding to like oh he killed his wife he killed his wife he killed his wife and then when they did that flashback scene you know you could have seen like him and his wife and they're all in love and shit and like say he just got like drunk on the boat and then like you know something happened or the wind blew or something and she like got knocked over and fell into the water and he couldn't save her you know so everybody thinks he killed his wife and you know it's just this insane accidental death that he's just haunted by like that would to me have added a lot of depth to that you know and really kind of shown how like tragic and misunderstood he is and you know that you know and why he's so appreciative of like the the amount of loyalty that leonardo DiCaprio's character has towards him you know because he's the one person that doesn't think he killed his wife and all this other stuff like it's way more definitive that way it feels better i just don't understand why they kept playing it like that and like and it just it didn't matter it could have just never happened like that whole part of the story could have been 100 percent dropped and you still could have done pretty much the same thing you know you could have just said you know like oh that's the guy that fucked up that one scene or something like instead of oh that's the guy that killed his wife you know there's so many other ways to do it instead of just forcing it in every chance they got for something that just had zero payoff all right justin your turn what did you not like about this movie all right cool um so for me i mean definitely some of the things that uh a lot of the actually a lot of the things that you guys said um i do agree with um the the one thing that 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 you said sterling that kind of stood out to me and and that I just kind of wanted to address or at least just give my perspective on what I saw based on the movie. The thing about Roman Polanski and whether or not it was him trying to say or imply that maybe if 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 things turn out this way that Roman wouldn't have. Well, I do remember a scene where they were talking about Polanski and Tate. And I want to say um, I can't remember the two characters that were having the conversation, but they were talking about Polanski because I guess at that time he was like he had just made Rosemary's Baby and he was like the the hottest director, whatever you at that time or whatever you could say. And I remember one of them saying something to the effect of and this is a bridge. I don't know the exact verbiage, but what I heard him say was, is that, yeah, he may be. Um, a big deal now or he's on top now, but he's bound to make a mistake. Something's going to happen and he's going to 
and and he's bound to make some sort of error or make some sort of mistake. Guys like that just never can get through all the way clean. He's something's going to happen to him. And I don't know. I felt like maybe that to, to me and and the person that I that that I spoke and one of the friends I watched it with after the movie, we both thought that was implying that Roman Polanski was going to screw up or Roman Polanski was going to do something. I thought that was his way of saying that regardless of how things play out, he's bound to do something because that's just in him. He's bound to make some sort of error or some sort of mistake because that's just in him. So I thought that was alluding to that, but I don't know. See, with that for me, whenever that happened in the movie and it started with that and then it went to, you know, how the movie ended, of course, I thought that they were just kind of bringing up like the like that Greek uh, like heroic downfall that all like Greek heroes have where they're all on top of the world, but then they fuck up and then, you know, they have to dig themselves out. Like to me, it was almost kind of like a wink and a nod towards that. Like, oh, he's the biggest thing in the world now, but, you know, he's going to have a downfall because they all do like wink nudge wink nudge like you know what actually happened type of situation so then when the end did happen to me like i said when i saw that i felt like they were trying to undo that like they were trying to wink nudge you at the beginning to set you up saying see maybe not now type of situation or you know maybe i'm wrong on that like i said i hope i'm wrong on that okay you know so hopefully you know, that's not what it was meant as, you know, because if it's meant 100% like, hey, I just really love Shannon Tate or Sharon Tate, whatever. I don't I don't know why that's so hard to get straight in my head. But, you know, I just really loved her. So I wanted to, you know, acknowledge that for her sake or something like that. Then I'm all for it. 100% all for it. It's just for whatever reason, Hollywood has had this weird record when it comes to Roman Polanski of a lot of people defending him and stuff like that. It's it's the same thing with ultimately what happened with Woody Allen and stuff like that. You'll just have all these people that will constantly defend working with them. And so many people in Hollywood have done the same thing with Polanski over the years and stuff like that. So I'm just I'm hoping it's not that. And and maybe it's just like nowadays, like with baseball, when somebody hits home runs, like a lot of home runs, people's first instinct is always steroids for better or worse. That's the first instinct. And maybe that's what I've built up in myself when it comes to things that end up bringing up Roman Polanski without directly a, like talking about what he did, you know, mentioning any part of yeah. his life before then. You know, so maybe that's the aspect of it. Maybe it really is me seeing too much into it, but it's just because I know so many people in Hollywood defended him for so long that it just feels like that's what they're doing. Because so much of this movie was just old Hollywood circle jerk shit, you know, and that's what (laughs) Hollywood loves. Hollywood and critics love it when they get to circle jerk to old Hollywood. And my fear is that his circle jerk includes Roman Polanski not being a bad guy. <laughs> that's just what I it yeah. That's what I felt and I'm hoping that's not the case. And it's just hard to unblur that line if you will. But I definitely get yeah, what you're saying. I'm just saying that's why that wasn't a, a in my mind when I watched those scenes or afterwards when the ending happened and I thought those things that's why that scene didn't undo it for me like it might have for you and your friend. Yeah. I mean, and I was just going to say that, like, I feel like um, Tarantino in general, his generation probably just loves Roman Polanski, you know, so maybe 
you you might be right about that. It was just like, you know, they don't want to make him out to be the bad guy. So, I mean, and he was kind of a non-factor in this for a lot of the movie. So, I mean, you could be right about that. So, yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting perspective. And and I understand why people like Quentin Tarantino or all this other stuff might have had like respect for Roman Plansky at one point point in time or something like that because i mean like it's impossible to say like when you're looking through like the history of film like unfortunately like for better or worse roma polanski is a part of that rosemary's baby was just a game changer of a fucking movie and you cannot deny that no matter what you can't deny its influence on just everything since that point in time i mean i showed it to justin like yep he hadn't seen the movie and I was like, no, you have to watch this. And I, and I will also admit at the time when we watched that, uh, the Roman Polanski situation has actually changed since then, because for so long, you know, the girl, uh, that he had sexually assaulted that said, no, you know, it was 100% consensual. It's just, you know, I was underage and that's the only thing they really have on him. But then like, she's even come out later saying that's not really the case and all this other stuff. And then when you learn now that we have like better understandings of like, how predators groom people and stuff like that. And, you know, that's very much the type of situation that that was, you know, like, oh, I'm this big, powerful, ultra famous director. You want to be in my movie? Yeah, well, we're going to fuck around in a hot tub type of situation that even without like, even if it was even partially consensual, you start getting into those weird power dynamics that still no matter what make it 100% unacceptable no matter what. And so in doing that, like that situation has even changed since then. So even at the time whenever I showed this to Justin and stuff like that, you know, I was kind of, you know, wasn't as fervent as I am about it now. I mean, this was, uh, fuck dude, this was what, at least almost 10 years ago? 10 or 11 years ago? Yeah. When we yeah, watched that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and my outlook on that has severely changed. And you know, and like I said, so with that aspect, I still do understand it because like I said, I still, even with the situation, can't say that Rosemary's Baby isn't just an almost all time influential film because it is. I think Rosemary's Baby is what made something like The Exorcist possible. And to me, The Exorcist is the ultimate groundbreaking changed movie culture, especially when it comes to horror movies forever movie and Rosemary's baby is what made that possible. So there's, you know, that weird fine line of understanding the importance of somebody and then celebrating somebody that shouldn't be celebrated, even if they are important. It's that weird fine line that I don't know if this movie did a good enough job of saying what side of the line it's on. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's my problem with it is that it kind of walked that tightrope with it instead of giving me a hard line when I feel like something like this deserves a hard line. So maybe it's maybe this issue is 100 percent built up in my head, but it's still an issue I had. Uh, we have gotten way. Well, not we. I have gotten not even way off topic. It's 100 percent been on topic, but I've been bogarting way too much. Justin, please, for the love of God, continue. What did you not like about this movie? Yeah, I didn't expect that kind, that big of a response. I just wanted to kind of, I, you just didn't bring up that scene. So I just thought, well, did he remember that scene or what did he think of that scene? And that was the only reason why I brought that up, because I just wanted to put out there that I took it as him implying that, yep, and that, because immediately I thought about that. I thought about the 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 underage sexual assault and everything uh or the underage sex and i went i 
he sure did make a mistake. So I just took it at, for face value and what they said. But I, I can see what you're saying, too, with, with, with the whole thing. Was it also implied that maybe he'd be innocent if if my fantasy scenario played out? You, you know, Um so so I get yeah. that. I get where you're coming from with that. But 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 just back to some of the dislikes. Um but but as far as um just some of my dislikes, I definitely do mirror some of Heather's sentiments with uh with Brad Pitt and whenever he um um interacted with the the Manson cult and everything like that, that that scene for for everything that that it built and the interactions with the uh, with the chick that played the the pussycat character, for all those interactions, for all that that happened, it did just feel like that was a long part that ultimately didn't lead to much of anything. You know, I thought that he was going to find that Charlie guy dead in that trailer or whatever, and then the guy was just alive and he really was asleep and. He just was there. Yeah. So I don't know. It felt like that there was a lot of tension built up like, oh, what's going to be in that trailer? Uh Oh, what's what's he going to find when he goes in that door? L- like and then for it to just be that I was kind of like, eh, OK, that's it. You know, Um. so so that was. Uh, a little weird to me and and i guess maybe the whole point was just to have an interaction so that we could get the 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 ultimate tarantino finale at the end but man did that kind of feel i don't know i i don't know if cheated is the right word but but that definitely felt like uh a moment where it, it did a good job at building tension, but the payoff just really wasn't there for me. And I was kind of like, oh, man, we, we we sure did devote a lot of time to this for it to just be that. So that was just so, so that was <laughs> yeah. just a little strange to me. Um, and, and, and really kind of what you guys said about the film Dragon, I do really think in the middle of the film that's really where it drags where stuff is just kind of happening but and some of the scenes are cool of course the imagery is cool and he does some cool shots and stuff like that but man some of the some of the scenes just drag on and on and then the the margot robbie stuff with with the sharon tate and everything i i I do get the point that if it was supposed to be a love letter to sharon tate i just wish that 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 margot robbie was more involved it didn't seem like she was involved enough in the movie for you to feel like at the end oh this is a love letter other than that scene which i thought was a nice sentiment i do think that she should have been in it more or should have been more involved and that was interesting that new york times article that heather read about how they wanted them to kind of be in on the fight and everything at the end that would have been awesome i really think that that is a good idea and that uh, you know now them saying that it does feel like a missed opportunity and it does feel like it was these heroic guys who took down the the Manson cult and you kind of left those victims out or kind of and I get maybe he was thinking well look in my story they're not victims at all but yes I, it, considering what 
actually happened. I could see people being on the other side of that and going, well, why didn't those people get to kill him then? If this is a fantasy story, if you're trying to kind of revise the history and what happened and try to make it this kind of good moment, why didn't um, Sharon Tate get to face her attackers and kill them, or why did why wasn't that a part of it? So I totally yeah. get that. I, I totally get where they're coming from with that. Um, another complaint that I had been reading online was uh, Bruce Lee's daughter uh, reacted to kind of the portrayal of Bruce Lee in this movie, and she was kind of upset that in this film he kind of comes off as this like pompous kind of arrogant asshole for lack of a better term who was more bark than he was bite um and 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 i kind of get where she's coming from with that now though to be fair to the movie if i'm not mistaken he just imagined that that happened right like he was sitting there thinking about what would happen if he had went on set with um if he had took that job right and so he kind of pictured that's what would happen and he would wind up being fired anyway is that what happened i'm pretty sure that was what how it was portrayed, right oh no 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 what that was is that was a flashback because whenever they said he couldn't come work on that western because one of the gaffers was friends with one of the guys from hornet oh okay and it was referencing that he got fired from that job because he almost beat up Bruce Lee or he, you know, he had that fight with Bruce Lee. Yeah. So that's why he didn't get the, why they didn't want him for the future one. Right. I think that's what they Yes. That's why they didn't want him on that one is because he had developed a bad reputation because he beat up a leading actor. Okay. Okay. See, I I guess I just confused that part or maybe I got lost with that. Okay. Well, I'm glad y'all cleared that up for me because I thought it was him imagine it if he took that job that's what would happen but no that makes sense and yeah when you said that one line well the guy from hornet i remember that line so yeah i was just i didn't put that together i guess when i saw it but yeah so okay so then that actually happened well now i even more understand kind of what bruce lee's daughter was talking about and i don't know man i I totally get where she's coming from with that because even when i was watching the scenes i was kind of like man dude they kind of just made (laughs) bruce lee kind of look i i didn't like the portrayal either or at least i think there was a better way to do that like like how come it couldn't have been one of those things where like bruce lee is whooping his ass but you know brad pitt keeps standing up like he just won't go down he keeps getting up just ready to fight or something or maybe like when the director's wife came in and interrupted everything and she was like what the hell is going on here what are you doing with my lead actor maybe it could have been one of those things where like you know bruce lee's whooping his ass and brad pitt keeps getting up and then like maybe the 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 director's wife um comes in with the what's going on maybe bruce lee looks at her you know diverts his attention then maybe brad throws him up against that car or something i don't know like i think you could have done it in a way to where you still could you you didn't have to like 
I don't want to say they shit on Bruce, but and this is kind of a make believe story. This is not it's not like this. Any of this actually happened at all because Pitt is a fictional character in this. But I do get where they're coming from with that. Not all of that kind of landed with me. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about that, man. Throwing Bruce Lee and then acting like, you know, or even that whole thing about, you know, Muhammad Ali would kill you and all this stuff. I don't know, man. Like, like that was just, I, it felt like, I felt like maybe that was Tarantino giving his thoughts on what he actually thought about Bruce Lee more than it was. You know yeah, what I, I mean? Like maybe he kind of sees Bruce Lee as this guy who everybody thinks is a legend and stuff like that. And but really, he was this actor. He was this movie star. And maybe he was a little more bark than bite. So I'm going to kind of have that play out in this movie. I don't know. I feel like there's some kind of truth in how he had Bruce Lee portrayed as far as how he believes probably Bruce Lee was. So not all of that landed with me either. And I just thought I'd bring that up because I thought that article was um, interesting. But yeah, ultimately, I, I think that th th that's where I fell on this movie with the dislikes is that it could have been a lot shorter. I think that there were some scenes that could have been cut. And I totally agree. Last thing I'll say, Sterling, is that um the, the scenes with them driving, at first it was cool. Like seeing like the behind the back viewpoint and they're driving down the roads and he would do kind of like this stop start, like fast forward, rewind action. And then sometimes it'd be a cool side shot of them driving in the cars. But man, there, but after a while, it just became, I became numb to it. I was just kind of like, okay, you know, driving in a car. And there was a really insanely long Brad Pitt driving in the car scene. And I was like, okay, did we really need all of that? So, yeah, I, I definitely agree that there are parts where this movie drags. And it's just, and it is one of those Tarantino movies where, I feel like it didn't, it just wasn't quite as smooth. It just wasn't quite as, um, as fluid and smooth as some of his, uh, other movies. So I, I do agree with that point as well. So I have a question for you guys. When that last, when the final scene started getting set up, whenever all the Manson family members were in the car talking about how they need to go kill everybody, uh, in Sharon Tate's house and then they got distracted by uh Rick Dalton so they were like oh let's go kill Rick Dalton instead but when that scene started did you actually think like I did that the Manson family people were going to go over there and start their shit and that maybe Brad Pitt or like uh Leonardo DiCaprio's characters were going to like hear it and like go over and interrupt it yep I totally thought that because of the way that they were setting it up where they were doing their own things throughout the evening and you know, Brad Pitt was walking his dog and Leonardo DiCaprio was just kind of like at home doing his own thing. I honestly thought that's what was going to happen or they were just going to, I don't know if I would say necessarily stop it, but I feel like they were going to at least hear what was happening. Um, and then it slowly changed into me being like, oh no, is it going to be like, this is what we were doing while that was happening. And then it just be like this really depressing thing of, we could have stopped it if we weren't drunk and high, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it was going to go to a place of they went to Sharon Tate's house, but the others were involved in some way with it. But I did not see it coming that they were just going to be at the other house altogether. And I actually didn't realize that it was, I mean, 
I assume, and from what I've heard, it's actually on purpose that they went to that house because they were mad at Rick Dalton for how he treated them. But I thought it was actually just more of like, maybe they went to the wrong house. You know, like, did you guys have, like, did you see that? Or did you kind of think that it was on purpose that they went to that house? Oh, I thought it was on purpose because they even said, we need to kill the Rick Daltons of the world because they taught us how to murder. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that's true. But yeah, at first I just thought that maybe, um, maybe it was just kind of like a, oh, this was actually not the house we were supposed to go to. But then I was reading more up on it and it was like, oh, they, they were angry at how they were treated and it made them think about that. So that's why they went to that house instead. But I didn't take it as they were mad at how they were treated. I just took it as, you know, he came out and yelled at them. They were like, oh shit, that was him. And then, you know, that one girl had that weird, I'm high in the backseat of a car moment when she was like, they taught us how to murder in all these cowboy shows. So let's go murder him. Yeah. 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 Which I guess is true, but I guess I feel like because they were supposedly following the orders of Charles Manson and they were so devoted to him. I didn't feel like they would detour from what he asked them to do. So maybe that's why I felt like that wasn't what it was, but it does make sense if that's what it was. I mean, yeah. And I do agree with you on that. I don't think they would have deviated from the original plan, but yeah, you know, lots of things in this sense, in this movie didn't make sense like that. So of course they did, you know, they, they went over there and, I do want to bring up one more thing because I did forget to mention it. And this is actually a like. It's not often that I end up adding likes at the end. But, <laughs> man, when Leonardo DiCaprio just flame fo- flamethrowered the fuck out of that girl in the pool, that was insane. I totally did not expect that. But I was like, he did that. He totally <laughs> did that. <laughs> that was that was just a really crazy cool scene. And... And what I'll say with this too is they, and I I heard this theory and I actually really kind of liked it was that this movie takes place in the same universe as Inglorious Bastards. So when, Hmm. you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio like flamethrowers all those Nazis and does that movie that that was kind of like a movie version of what the Inglorious Bastards did to the Nazis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. that. That was like the the film version of telling that story, and so that that this is in the same universe. And I actually kind of like that. So I thought that was cool. Now that whole scene was honestly badass. I mean that 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 final showdown with them was pretty badass. Everything from the dog attacking them to, you know, because it seemed like Brad Pitt was, <laughs> it seemed like he was at a disadvantage. I mean, especially being so high and then the acid cigarette and all that stuff like that. But the way that all played out was pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. I'm, and I was like, oh my God. But, but like you said, it was such a stark contrast to the movie that we had been given before that. And then it was just like you said, he just went full Tarantino at the end, which was entertaining. I mean, I didn't dislike the scene, but overall, yeah, you, you just didn't feel that it was the sum of its parts, you know? Yeah. It almost felt like they completely were like, okay, we're not going to have all this crazy violence in this movie. And they made up for it at the end with how much they did in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ending of this movie was kind of like somebody being lactose intolerant, but just really wanting some ice cream. Like, 
when you're eating that ice cream, you're like, fuck yeah, this is delicious. And then like you pay for it afterwards <laughs> because like that's what the ending right. was. Like while it's happening, you're like, fuck yeah, this is great. And then as soon as the movie ends, you're just like, wait, yeah. what the fuck was that? <laughs> no, like you can't do that. Yeah, totally. And also one more thing I wanted to mention as um, I, I don't really know if it's a like or a dislike, but just an interesting thing that happened with the movie was when they were in the car talking about that scene. And then the one character who was played by Maya Hawk, um, who was just kind of like she decided pretty much halfway through it that like you know what i don't want to do this <laughs> and she just took off you know she just took off and she's like yeah i'm gonna leave i really thought that was interesting just because of the fact that you know i mean it's part of a, a cult of people who are following this guy and just having that realization in that moment of like yeah something's wrong with this and i just thought it was really it was interesting and kind of cool i guess how they they made that character that was like, yeah, I'm coming to my senses now. And this is not actually a very, um, yeah, this isn't a very, a very good thing to do. And this is not, you know, benefiting anyone in any way to do this kind of thing. And she just took off. And I don't know if it was like chickening out more so than just realizing like, yeah, this is not the mission that I want to be a part of. But I just thought it was interesting that they did add that in there. Oh, yeah. No, because that part really kind of threw me off, too. Where just all of a sudden that girl's like, yeah, murder, murder. Then I'm like, no, no, I'm outie. Right. And I don't, I mean, I think it was a good thing that they added it, but it was just so out of nowhere that I feel like I can't decide if I want to put that in the category of that was a good thing or a bad thing that they did in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely get that. I just, so I have one more question for you guys, just to see if you agree with me on this. Like, so like that middle section of the movie where we talked about like it really kind of just, that's when it kind of lost its way. Did you guys have the same feeling I did that it was only during the Brad Pitt scenes? And it wasn't Brad Pitt's fault, but it's just that that character part with Cliff going to the Manson Ranch and all that part of it, like that that's what kind of killed the middle of this movie because all those scenes they were then also intermixed with all the Leonardo DiCaprio scenes where he's on the set of that that TV show. Like they were just so distinctly different. I mean, I was captivated by those Leo scenes and just didn't give a fuck every time they went back to Cliff during that section of the movie. No, I, I actually do really get that because um, and it's it's such a weird feeling of having mixed emotions about it because I think that the scenes at with Cliff at the ranch were very important and they built up to the climax of the story and they were important to the story, but they just weren't as captivating as the ones where you see Leo, where he's just struggling with his acting career and struggling through the lines and all of that, because that was something that for whatever reason, I was just very like, what's going to happen at the end of this more so than with the, the, the cliff character, which is weird because the whole idea of Charles Manson and his, you know, followers and all of that, I've always just thought that that was a very interesting story in general. And just the whole, the whole story behind the Sharon Tate murder and everything that happened with that, I've always been very fascinated at knowing like what actually happened there and why, but just, and maybe that's a testament to Leonardo DiCaprio and how fantastic he was in this movie, because really he was probably like, for me, this is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen him in, to be really honest. Like he was top notch at his acting 
and just how he portrayed every emotion. But maybe that's a testament to that. But also, you're right. Like, I feel like I was way more captivated by the scenes that he was doing where he was trying to get through the the acting and and doing all those scenes than I was by the the Manson thing, which is normally what does captivate me about that storyline. Yeah. And and I can um and I definitely agree with what you're saying. And to me, I mean, it was weird because it, it is kind of mixed emotions, kind of like Heather. Because at first, I was really feeling it because I, I felt like they really were trying to tell kind of this double story of this person who's actually a badass and he actually does these badass things and he's got this mysteriousness to him and he's got that legend about him or oh he killed his wife or did something you know horrible to someone so he's got that kind of sin wavering over him that that is very much the western main character trope you know it's this guy who's got this mysteriousness about him there's this legend about him that he did something or he killed somebody or he murdered his whole crew or he did all of this and so there's kind of that scarlet lettery type sin thing weighing over him and everybody thinks he's eccentric and he lives alone and nobody talks to him and stuff like that so at first I was picking up on all of that and I really and I was enjoying that because I I was enjoying the contrast to Leo DiCaprio. But I do feel like kind of like what you guys are saying and maybe what I think I think why some of those scenes didn't land was because Leo DiCaprio, it was much more contained and it was a little more relatable, just his struggle and how he was acting and how he was just struggling with that. It was simple. It was just simple. It was easy to follow. And it it was more believable than this person who is this badass who whooped Bruce Lee and who did, you know, did, 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 did all this stuff. He could jump (laughs) up on a gate and on a fence and jump up on a roof with these and no ladder. Like he was cool, but it wasn't as believable. You know what I mean? He was, he was a cool character, but the story and what was happening None of those things culminated. And I think that what Sterling said earlier would have helped this because normally with that Western badass character, there is this sin or there is this something dark on the inside that he's fighting or that he's kind of struggling with. And the dead wife was an opportunity to do that. But Tarantino kind of played it off as, oh, it's kind of this Joe Cool type of thing. So the Brad Pitt character, you didn't feel like he grew into anything or blossomed into anything. He didn't start one way and then become another, or he didn't realize something. And he was just pretty much the same character. And when you have a character with no character growth, which which sometimes Tarantino does do that, though, he will have a character that is the same from the beginning to the end. But it, it, it this movie just didn't allow him to get away with it here. There, there wasn't enough here to kind of to for me to kind of categorize that as a character journey, I, which and I think that's the best way to put it. I mean, did you guys feel like that character had a journey, really, as far as changing his motivation or becoming starting as one thing and becoming something else? I mean, I didn't. And and it goes into what I was going to say to my own question, too, with that is the fact that, like, I don't think any of those scenes were necessary with him 
on the ranch because if you think about it, they were going to go kill Sharon Tate anyway. That was going to be the plan. You know, that's a setup early when Charles Manson shows up at that house uh, earlier in the yeah. show. So I don't, you know, I don't feel like any of that was necessary because ultimately they were going to end up there anyway. And you still could have had the scene where Rick Dalton yells at them for having their loud car and they changed their plan. Like that still would have worked in that exact moment. So to me, just none of those scenes were necessary. So in turn, that's also, I think, plays into what you were saying, Justin, uh, the fact that there was no journey because it wasn't necessary. There was nothing like those scenes weren't necessary. So it's impossible for his character to even have a journey when his scenes don't matter. Hmm. Now, I... I do mostly agree with that because I feel like would that part of it have changed any if they hadn't had those scenes in it. But I do kind of feel like they added a little bit to it because not that Brad Pitt's character wouldn't have already been like, okay, these people are breaking into my house. I need to do something about it. But I felt like it kind of set up him knowing like, I know what these people are about and it's not good. And I feel like it drived his motive to really destroy them as much as he did before. It might've just been like a, I'm going to knock you out and that's going to be good. But with this, I feel like because he knew who they were, that's why he was so brutal with them and making sure that they were like completely taken out. And that's the only thing I really feel like it added. But otherwise, you're right, because it really wouldn't have changed the course of what actually happened at the end there. I just feel like it kind of set up more of why he knew that he needed to kind of destroy what they were planning to do. Yeah, I get that aspect of it. It's just to me, with especially the character they had established already, with the whole Bruce Lee thing and stuff like that, that if some motherfuckers just walked into, you know, the house he's at with some knives and shit, he would have gone all John Wick on him just the same. <laughs> yeah. And like, I kind of feel, and I know this isn't what happened because I know people saw this movie beforehand, but having seen John Wick 3 and then having seen this, it did feel like they kind of ripped off John Wick with that dog. You think so? They didn't because... I know people had, like, I want to say Cans or something like that, had already seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood around the time John Wick was coming out. So this movie was finished before then. But, you know, so it's very much like uh, parallel thinking. You know, if you've got a dog, of course, just have the dog violently bite people's dicks. That's what dogs are good for in those type of movies. But it just felt like, you know, it being so many months removed and, you know, knowing that John Wick is coming out, you know, to buy within just like a couple of weeks that I'm just like, man, John Wick already did it. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, what do you think about that, though, Justin, with what you were saying? Um, Man, like, I, I wouldn't say it was a copy. I, I didn't get the sense that um, I didn't even really think about John Wick when I saw it. I guess it was just different enough to where I didn't think about that. But my friend did make a comparison that he thought that the the he, he actually said that he liked the dog attacks in this better because he felt like it was a little more realistic and it was like 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 the dog would bite him and he would bite in different parts and stuff like that and he said that the the uh, the attacking dogs in John Wick it seemed way more synchronized and this seemed just way more like the brutality of a dog. So he did mention that. Honestly, I didn't even draw that comparison. But uh, so I thought it was different enough to where it, it was OK. 
you, you know, the dog, because the dog, the, the, and they did enough with the dog. They showed the dog being obedient. They showed how that dog would sit there, be salivating at the mouth, but he would wait until Brad Pitt gave that command. So I kind of like the development earlier of showing how obedient that dog was and seeing him bite up some some killers and stuff like that. You know, I, it just never really crossed my mind. And I feel like the way it was shot, the way it was done, it was completely different from John Wick, you know, uh, different enough. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on <laughs> one second. We got to unpack something here. So you had a friend that said this was more realistic of dog attacks than John Wick's because the John Wick ones were more synchronized, even though that that's what they are. They're like militarily trained attack dogs, and that's exactly what they do. Like, that's literally what those dogs are. But on top of that, that person is implying that Quentin Tarantino has ever had realistic violence in one of his movies because say what you will about him. That is something he has <laughs> never had. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so to imply that the dog was realistically violent like a dog would be is just pure poppycock. And I don't say that often just because. I don't think I've ever heard you say that. <laughs> that's what that statement brought out of me, because there's just nothing realistic about a violent scene with Quentin Tarantino ever. No, I totally get that. But but you just making that comparison to Wick, I just that that just. I just told, I just, they just jogged a memory and I just remember him mentioning that. But yeah, I didn't even think about John Wick until he mentioned it after the movie was over. And even then I was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a dog is biting in the nuts. A dog is jumping up on a building, biting somebody. A dog is, <laughs> I don't know. I just, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's not a comparison of realism I would make. So <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, the reason why I thought of that though, <laughs> is because from now until the day I die, well, not even now, from May, until the day I die, I will, if I ever see a dog bite someone in the nuts, I'm only going to think of John Wick. Like, that's just all I can think of. <laughs> if a dog bites a dick, that's a John Wick dog move. Yep. That's what it is. <laughs> on that note, guys, let's move on. Heather, what's your rating and recommendation for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? So, recommendation. Honestly, I really do recommend it. Even though I did, I mean, it did leave this, I left this movie a little bit up in the air because I had so many things to process with what happened in it, especially at the end there. Um, and I, I do give Tarantino credit for the, the whole the twist at the end of it. Like maybe other people saw it coming about how it wasn't actually going to be Sharon Tate and she was going to live and all these things. I did not actually see that being how that went down. So I do give props for that. But um, I mean, I just, I think it's worth a watch. It's, it's a clever idea for a story. Um, and for the most part, it was executed well. It just could have been shorter is all I will say. Like there's just a lot of things that probably could have been cut out and made the story still the same, um, been more concise and still just brought across the same message and the same total story of what he was trying to tell. That's really my only thing with it for the most part. Um, my score for this 
for me, like just because I, I do like Tarantino movies, but I do also enjoy the fact that I feel like this was a little bit more of a detour from his normal type of movies that he did. He did the same format of, you know, it's, you know, he, he got the violence in and he got all these things and he did the whole history revision thing that he does in an interesting way. But I feel like this movie was very different than a lot of the others. It wasn't this revenge, exacting revenge just for the sake of what has happened to the character specifically type of thing like it is with some of his other movies. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it, it was a different type of Tarantino movie than I had seen before. And I did appreciate that. I feel like he did kind of branch out a little bit from his norm. Even though he used the same format, he did it in a different way. So it was, um, I, I did enjoy that about this film. So yeah, I'm going to give this a 70, uh, 70 scenes of Cliff bashing someone's face into everything in his home out of a hundred for me. Wow. That's probably one of the more violent scores you've ever given. Justin, your turn. Go. Okay. As far as a recommendation, uh, yeah, I'm going to recommend, uh, as well. I enjoyed this movie. Uh, more than the last movie we saw, The Lion King. And I mean, I enjoyed it more than that. So, um, and that movie, whereas where we kind of struggled to kind of find some life or some soul or some originality in some of it, this one is not lacking any of that. Like this definitely has, vi it's vibrant, it's energetic. You can tell that you, you can tell that True. Quentin Tarantino is passionate about his films and his shots and the cinematography and stuff like that. The actors showed up to work and there's nothing lifeless about this film for any character. And that's one thing that I can give it over a lot of films that we've seen this year. And and, and I said that at the beginning and I'll say that again. This is different from anything that I watched all year thus far, especially this summer. I can definitely say that this is one of those movies where it's, it's, it's a chill movie, man. It's a sequence of events that, that, that are happening. And I don't know if there was even a moral here or a lesson here. So if you're that kind of movie goer, you're probably going to have problems with this. There isn't a lot of character growth for all the characters. There isn't going to be this sort of moral message at the end where you walk away going, Oh man, that, that really taught me something. That's not really what this is. This is just a sequence of events. It's cool events. It's cool shots. It's a sequence of things happening. And then you kind of just take the experience for what it is and kind of talk about what it means to you. And that is very much uh, in a lot of ways how Quentin likes to do his films. So, I mean, and so in that regard, I will recommend it for if you're somebody looking for something different, if you think there's been too many remakes and reboots and you're sick of seeing carbon copies of things and you're just looking for something a little more fresh, I think that this is a good movie to uh, recommend. And even though I, it does have its problems, it is by far not perfect. It's not even one of Tarantino's best films. Um, 
but but it, it was a breath of fresh air when I consider a lot of the movies we've seen this summer. It, it definitely was that. And the acting performances are top notch here. Some of the best of the year. So that, that alone, I think, is worth the price of admission. You got to see Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt here. They really shine in this and they, and they shine enough for me yeah. to recommend. So my st- score is going to be uh, 75 dog dick bites out of 100. <laughs> um, For me, if you're just a diehard fan of Quentin Tarantino or uh, if you like watching dog dick bites or um, if you just love a good old fashioned <laughs> Hollywood circle jerk, um, yeah, watch this movie. You'll probably enjoy it. Um, if you want to just see... Uh, like just a top tier acting performance um go see it and just close your eyes through everything unless you hear leonardo DiCaprio's voice and then you can open them and watch it and then just close your eyes for the rest of the movie it's fine um like i said this movie just kind of filled (laughs) me with apathy i can't really definitively say one way or another whether or not i liked it it's for me it just kind of happened and i just happened to be sitting in the theater with my eyes open while it happened um I enjoyed a lot of parts of it, but I also just did not enjoy a lot of parts of it. It's just straight down the fucking middle for me. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could give it something uh, better and or worse than this. But ultimately, when it comes down to it for me, uh, I would give this movie, you know, 50 pitchers of frozen margaritas at your home after you killed already like three pitchers of frozen margaritas at a restaurant out of 100. It really is just right down the middle. So if you're curious on whether or not you should watch it, flip a coin. Pretty much the same thing I'd feel with it. You know, watch it or don't. Who cares? (laughs) Although I do feel like it is one of the um, happier, supposedly, versions of a Tarantino film than the others, if that means anything. But yeah, the the outcome was happier than a lot of other outcomes from Tarantino films. I could see that. Yeah, I could agree with that, too. Yep. Yeah, it very much was the most uh like fairy tale of them all all, which i guess plays into the name of it you know it's very much meant to be a good old-fashioned hollywood circle jerk fairy tale i cannot not say circle jerk with this because that's what it is it's an old hollywood circle jerk (laughs) um but anything else guys before we end this about this movie i'm good nope and on that note, fans, thank you guys for listening. Check us out at www.cinemaslayers.com. If you haven't been there in a while, check it out. It's all new. It's all exciting. Way more podcast-centric. So it's very fun. Uh, we will have some modified merch. It's pretty much just the newer style logo, which you will see on our Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or uh, website or podcast app logo. It's just going to be that on pretty much the same merch. It's just a little more of a tweak on things. Um, You know, check us out wherever you do listen to podcasts. Give us a rating and review at the same places. Um, Also, let us know on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any of these things uh, what you think about this movie or any of these other movies we were talking about. We are uh, I am toying with an idea to add some different type of episode types uh, in between stuff for you guys. That will be a little bit more. interactive with you guys so i do think that'll be fun and you know once we get it all figured out and whatnot we'll let you guys know we're going to do it that specifically and you know other than that guys probably you know right along with leo's performance in this movie remember guys according to justin 
Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Fuck God. What did you even say there? (laughs) I think he had a stroke. God.